Politics, football, faith, and theology. You're listening to Pfft Podcast, and I'm your host, Daniel. I'm going to do episode uh, two of this mini-series on... What is it on? It's on sort of the collection of everything that's been going on since the end of May uh, throughout June uh, related to racial relations, related to police uh, brutality, related to protests, riots, all that kind of stuff, and just all the conversations we've been having. If you haven't listened to my first episode, uh, you can go back and listen to it, Uh, but this is number two. So I did kind of an introductory thing where I talked about, among other things, I talked about sort of how there's been a history of oppression of uh, black people and how it still affects us today and still affects black communities today. Um, while also acknowledging that there has been a lot of resilience and a lot of uh, creativity and courage uh, shown by black people that has, uh, so that the history is not dominated by oppression. There, there are a lot of great stories of people, uh, despite that, succeeding in, in a lot of ways and a lot of really positive examples. But what I want to do today is talk a little bit specifically about uh, the George Floyd shooting and more specifically about uh, some issues that I think exist in policing overall. I think what the George Floyd case tells us is not so much the fact that one man committed this heinous murder, but the fact that there were four police officers there, and nobody stopped him. There were three other guys, and no one stopped him. There was one police officer, apparently, who said something, said... uh, can we maybe turn him on his side so we're not kneeling directly on his neck or, or something like that? And maybe tried to give him some CPR or something uh, when he could, but but he didn't directly stop him. And that guy was on his third day on the job. So if you think about that, what does it say that the police officer who was on his third day on the job was the only one of those four who had the sense to even speak up at all about this? let alone stop the guy, pull him off, which no one did. And if it's your third day on the job, maybe that's understandable. Maybe you kind of aren't sure if what he's doing is actually deadly or not. You think, oh, it must be, it must be okay. I don't, there must be some reason. I don't know. I don't know. But he did speak up. The fact that there were two other officers there who stood by and did nothing, plus the guy who actually directly killed him by kneeling on his neck, shows that something is messed up systemically with that police department. You can get one bad apple, you know, as they say. You could get one fluke in a police department that's otherwise okay. But if if you have that many police officers who are okay with it, and if the one person who's willing to say anything at all is in his third day on the job, hasn't been indoctrinated by that culture or, you know, whatever it is in that culture... Um, and the people who have aren't saying anything. Something is seriously wrong with that whole police department, with their whole training system. And I don't know what it is exactly. But if something is that wrong with that one police department in Minnesota, I think Minneapolis, then we have to ask ourselves, what is it? And do we have those same problems throughout America? And to what extent? I want to talk about the killing of Daniel Shaver. The reason I want to do that is because this one is uh, the one that I have the most uh, 
history with. I went and talked with three of my friends, or yeah, two of my friends. We went and talked to a police officer in my community to ask him for his opinions and, and thoughts about the killing of Daniel Shaver. Daniel Shaver was a white man in Arizona, I believe, who the police were called because he was pointing a pellet gun out of his hotel window, which is a stupid thing to do. He was drunk or something. And the police came, basically, I don't know if they, it was actually a SWAT team, but whatever it was, they were basically acting like one, if, if not actually a SWAT team. And, you know, yelled for him to come out of his his hotel room. They took the, the woman who was with him, uh, they had her crawl back toward them or whatever, they handcuffed her, and, and that was fine. And then, as they were trying to get Daniel Shaver to crawl back toward them, they asked him first, are you drunk? He was. You know, he said, no, I'm not, because of course you're going to say, no, I'm not drunk. But they said, okay, so you're going to have no problem following all the orders. And the implication even there was, and if we shoot you because you don't follow our orders, it's your fault, which is really messed up. Um, and they gave him inconsistent orders, too. They told him, don't put your hands down, keep your hands up. If you put your hands down, we're going to kill you. They were saying that. They were saying, you're going to die if you, you know, if you mess up at all, if you don't listen to our orders there's a serious chance he'll get killed, which is making him, I'm sure his heart is just pounding. He's, you know, you put in a situation where you're that afraid, it makes it harder for you to obey directions. When I talked to the police officer about this, he pointed to the fact that they had said that as, oh, see, they gave him fair warning. That didn't seem right to me. And that's, you know, this is a, a police officer in, in, my hometown in Indiana, not my hometown, but my, my the place where I currently live, um, who's defending this uh, largely. Well, I, I would say he's defending this. He's you know pointing to that and saying he gave him fair warning, and then uh, and then they told him, put your hands up, and crawl toward me. You can't crawl while your hands are up. I don't know what he was expecting him to do. Maybe kind of shuffle. He should have said shuffle toward me if that with your legs crossed too. Um, and he was playing the Simon Says game, giving him, giving him these inconsistent orders and yelling at him that he's going to die if he messes up. And at some point, he reached back in a way that it almost looked to me like he was kind of crawling and realized he was supposed to have his hands up and maybe started putting his hand up. Uh, some people say maybe he was reaching up to pull his pants up because they were slipping. Uh, the police officer interpreted it as him reaching toward... Uh, his waist where maybe there was a gun. There was absolutely no evidence that there was a gun. He was saying the whole time he was saying, please don't shoot me, please don't shoot me. I'm, I'm going to try to obey as much as I can. I'm really doing my best here. And they shot him, and he died. That was a case that shows so many problems with, with the way that police officers operate and are trained to operate. The fact, not only that that happened, but that they were acquitted, if they were even charged, I don't remember exactly what happened, I think they were charged and acquitted, but I don't remember, and the fact that a police officer in another state would, would defend that to me and say that he followed his training perfectly. Um, this police officer also told me, we are trained to prioritize first the safety of the public. Secondly, the safety of ourselves, of the police officers. And thirdly, the safety of the threat. 
And he had told me earlier that, you know, in most of these calls, nothing's going to be, there's not going to be anything wrong. It's going to be a false alarm or, or something minor going on. Um, and a lot of officers, he said, would even just, instead of yelling for him to come out the door, would just go up and knock and see what's going on. And he said they didn't do that, and you're not trained to do that, You're not, which I think you should. I think, you know, although I don't know if, if there is a possibility that something serious is going on, then maybe you do have to do this. But they, they didn't know that. All they knew that was somebody called and said it looked like somebody was maybe pointing a gun out of the window briefly. And so they, they escalate things. to the, They imagine the worst possible scenario and then treat it as if that's what's happening. You know, they're treating him as if he has a gun for sure in his pants. He didn't, by the way. He had no gun. He had the pellet gun. Uh, it was in his hotel room. It wasn't on him. He had no weapon at all on him when they were doing this. Uh, so he was absolutely not reaching for a gun. They gunned him down completely in cold blood uh, when he posed zero threat to them. And maybe they thought he did, but or thought that there was a tiny chance that he did. And that tiny chance was enough for them to kill him without waiting to see if he had a gun. Even though he was crawling with his head down, wouldn't have been able to draw it and aim in enough time to do any damage. They could have waited, you know, they could have seen the gun come out before they killed him. They didn't. Um, so he said that even though... You know that there's like a 90% chance that this guy's not a threat. That this guy's innocent or or at least not guilty of something nearly as, you know, drastic as being about to try to kill a police officer. Even though you know that this guy's probably innocent, you're still going to treat him as if it's the worst possible scenario. And you're going to prioritize his life below the life of the police officer. It goes first public, second police, third the threat. Even though the threat is probably a member of the public, which means that he should probably be prioritized above the police officers, because he's probably just an ordinary citizen who hasn't done anything wrong, and that's not the paradigm. This is, you know, I'm, this is what I got specifically from a police officer in a different state from where this happened. Uh, and he was a great guy. He seemed like a really nice, you know, very friendly and wasn't defensive at all. It was a good conversation, but. Man, just listening to this, I learned that there are serious problems. That is not how you should be trained. You should not be trained to assume that every situation is the worst possible situation. He said that sometimes in their training they have uh, other police officers sort of pretend to be a guy like this and, you know, pull out a gun out in some crazy way that nobody expected to try to, like, catch them. And they have this training where they try to see, oh, man, is he going to try to pull a gun out of his, you know, from behind his shoulders or maybe from his shoe or whatever. Um, and the, the the trainer will try to catch them and see if he can pull a gun on them before they can stop it. Uh, and I wonder, do they have training where the trainer is pretending to role play as somebody who actually is innocent but is confused about how to follow directions? Because that's something you know. If you if in the training game you don't uh, catch the guy who's who's gonna pull a gun out of you out of nowhere. Okay, that's bad, maybe. Well, it is bad. You didn't catch the guy. But then if you play another training game and you, in this within this training game, you gun down somebody who is actually innocent, that's worse. You know, according to the police officer's own priority. First the public safety, then the officer's safety. So it's worse. It should be. But do they have that kind of training? That's the kind of thing. They should have both. You need to be trained to respond when there actually is a threat, and you 
just as much need to be th trained to not gun somebody down when he isn't a threat. Um, so the George Floyd case and the Daniel Shaver case tell us that there is something seriously wrong all throughout America, I think. At least, I don't want to overstate the problem. I think police overall do a good job, but but there is something, and I don't think that these two cases are even the same. The, the George Floyd case, he looked, it, would, it seemed purely gratuitous that he just, like, wanted to kill this guy or, or didn't care, at least, wanted to show his own power by kneeling on someone's neck. The Daniel Shaver case, at least you could make the argument that he maybe thought there was a chance, a tiny chance, but a chance that the guy had a gun and was going to kill him. And maybe he got scared and did this. Okay, he shouldn't be a police officer if that's the case. Um, you know, there's other other issues there, too. Uh like the inscription he had on his gun, but that's another matter. Um, but there is a difference between these two cases. I don't want to say there isn't. Uh, but something is clearly wrong with policing in America if that kind of thing is happening, and, and at least with the Daniel Shaver case, it's being defended and pointed to as an example of somebody correctly following his training. And by the way, that's the Daniel Shaver case was not a race issue. It was a white police officer shooting a white man. Um, and that shows that there... I think this is important to hear. And I know it's it's not a popular thing to say. And I don't want to downplay the element of race in, in some of these cases. Because you often can't know. You, you don't know if George Floyd would be alive today if he had been white. We don't know if his killing was because of race or not. We know that Daniel Shaver's killing was not because of his race. So we know that it at least exists, that, that these situations do happen when it's not racially motivated. And that even the not racially motivated cases, like the Daniel Shaver case, probably happen more often to black people. Because they disproportionately have encounters with the police. That's something we'll talk about later, maybe. Um, and so there are going to be cases where there are unjust killings of black men that are not racially motivated. With that being said, there are also unjust killings, like the Ahmad Aubrey case, where it's very clear that it was racially motivated. The guy who killed him was a documented racist, used the N-word about him right after he had killed him, had called for, you know, at least made jokes about killing other black people, decided to actually do it this time. That's racism. That's, you know, needs to be treated that way. But sometimes we just don't know. And if we focus on every shooting as if it's just an issue of racism, then we ignore the ability to address other problems. You know, what, what were the problems with the training of the officer who killed Daniel Shaver? Those need to be addressed. If we insist on saying that any time a black man is killed by police, it's racism. Then even if it was unjust, we miss the fact that there are other problems. And addressing those other problems will save more black lives than just pointing to every single shooting as an instance of racism. Some of them are. The Ahmad Arbery case, of course it wasn't a police officer. A lot of the time, you can't tell. I do not know. I don't think we'll ever know if the man who killed George Floyd was racist, or if there was some other reason he wanted to kill him, or some other reason he just wanted to 
show his dominance and didn't care if the guy lived or died. There's all kinds of reasons. And if it was racism, that's horrible. But it, it, it doesn't matter. If it was not racism, it's still horrible. Whatever his reason was, it's murder. And murder is a worse sin than racism. You, know, you can be a jerk. Killing people is worse. Both are bad. Both are both deny the image of God in the other person. Um, but it's important to to keep in mind that not every unjust killing is racism, because otherwise we will ignore these issues and more people will continue to die. We've seen other instances, even in the last, um, even in the last few weeks, we've seen instances of police brutality in response to these protests, non-lethal police brutality mostly, um, but they've, we've seen things like attacking medic stations. You don't even do that in war. I saw a video of a guy who was, uh, the protesters were kneeling, and maybe the, before the video started, I guess they said that the police had told them to disperse, but they were kneeling peacefully. They were not uh, doing anything violent. I think if you are being peaceful, you shouldn't really be told to disperse. We do have the right to peaceably assemble and petition for a redress of grievances if they were kneeling to prove that they were all peaceful. I don't think they should have even been told to leave. But I, I didn't see the full context. Maybe there was violence going on off camera. I don't know. But this guy was just, this this young man was giving an impromptu speech. And it was actually a beautiful thing, everything he was saying. He was talking about how uh, he wants to learn. He was talking to the police officer saying, I want to learn what you're like on a good day. I want to get to know you. I think you are, you know, I don't think you're a bad person. I, I want to... I want to hear your perspective on life. I want you to hear mine. I want to, um, you know, treat everybody well and equally, whether they're white or black or uh, whatever else. And this was going on for a few minutes. Uh, and then a police officer stepped out of the crowd of police, walked across the sort of no man's land of about 20 yards or so, walked up to the crowd of protesters, grabbed this man out of the whole crowd, arrested him, took him away, and then told everyone else to disperse. That seemed wrong to me. That seemed... Why would you signal out the one guy just because he's talking and saying things that somehow make you feel upset, even though they shouldn't, right? He was saying positive, unifying things, and they singled him out for arrest. Uh, that's the kind of thing that we see and realize, man, maybe something's not quite right. We've seen police smashing windows of cars. We've seen um, them shut down peaceful protests before curfew. Uh, we've seen, you know, even though curfew doesn't mean that you can't sit on your own home front porch, you have a right to do that. We've seen them yelling at people to get inside their houses and using tear gas to get people off of their own front porches, which is not uh, the right thing to do when you enforce curfew. And some police have gotten in trouble for this kind of stuff. Um, we've seen potentially, uh, it seemed like maybe police were clearing this church in D.C. so that just so that Trump could have a photo op there. Uh, certainly they, you know, they used tear gas to clear the area, cleared this medic station that was there, and then shortly thereafter, Trump had a photo op. Now you could say, oh, it had nothing to do with the fact that they had just cleared it, but eh, it looks, it looks like they cleared a church with tear gas so that Trump could stand there and hold up a Bible and have a photo op. That seems wrong. We've seen, uh, you know, what I've heard is, and I, I don't know, 
I haven't heard this specifically from a police officer, but I've heard that the training, and it does seem to honestly go with the kinds of things that I've seen happen. What I've heard is that their training is when there's a protest, you protect the protesters completely until one person in the whole crowd so much as throws a water bottle at you, and then all of the protesters are enemies and you clear them out as fast as possible with tear gas, whatever else, even if just one person does one thing that's a little out of line in the whole crowd. Um, you know, if that's true, and it does seem like it sort of comports with some of the things we've been seeing, that's wrong, and that's uh, something that needs to change. So I guess the whole point of this little mini episode was there are issues with police, and the issues have, in some cases, more to do with how they're trained than with actual personal racism. And we should look at the issues with how they're trained as well as uh, things like qualified immunity and, and police union contracts that make it hard to get rid of actually bad cops who are not just going along with their training but doing even worse things. You know, and I, I think it's also good to remember that police overall are doing a lot of good work. I don't want to. I don't want to make this a really anti-police episode because if somebody comes and breaks into my house, who am I going to be calling? You know, we need the police. We need them to to keep us safe. Uh, of course, Second Amendment also helps, but we need the police. It's uh, it's one of the like the most important functions of government is to promote justice and keep us safe. Uh, but. It's also worth calling out when things get out of hand or when training is not quite what it should be. So I want to be respectful of the many, many police officers who do so much good for uh, their communities and for our country. But at the same time, I do think that there are issues we need to talk about and have a, a candid conversation about uh, without you know, the whole mindset of uh, if you're not completely pro-police, then you're unpatriotic, or if you're not completely anti-police, then you hate black people or or anything like that, you know, we need to be able to have these conversations. And so that's just uh, some of my thoughts on policing in America. Uh, if you are a police officer, you know, I'd love to talk to you about this. Um, and thank you for your service. And unless you're one of the few, you know, really bad apples, but probably you're not listening to me because, you know, you're probably the, yeah, well, anyway. Uh, I do want to say thank you to, to police officers because I do think they do a ton of good and that's important to remember too you know be be kind to your police officers not just because they'll arrest you if they don't if you don't <laughs> all right thank you for listening um i'm gonna do another episode now and uh please uh, subscribe to me uh listen to my other episodes on this and on other topics you're listening to Pfft podcast politics football faith and theology my website is podcast.com I'm going to end this one for now. Thanks for joining us next time.